to inform you that we are reviewing the film 15 Minutes, which you may be saying, I've never heard of that movie. And you may be surprised to hear that famous people are in it, like Charlize Theron and Robert De Niro, and yet you still have never heard of it. And that is because I'm going to jump right to my one sound review, which is, ah! Robin, would you like to give your one sound review? Yeah, it's, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> mine is, uh, oh. Uh. <laughs> yep, yep. Mix those together in a cocktail, and you have the film 15 Minutes, which is written and directed by the same gentleman who put together Two Days in the Valley. John, John Hertzfeld. Only this is several years later, and several quantities worse. Yes, and this was his next film after that. I think, yeah. again, he did some TV. Yep, he took a big, long break from feature films, uh, cast Charlie Theron in a much smaller role, uh, and we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have some feelings about that, guys. <laughs> uh, and also tackle the much weightier subject with much less finesse and grace. Yes. Wow, this movie makes Two Days in the Valley, in retrospect, seem so much better. Oh, yeah. It's so True. much better. Like, I I think maybe I was, like, the least fan of Two Days in the Valley of the so. us, and now I'm like... A masterpiece. <laughs> I know. It really goes to show that the order that we watch the movies reflects in the ranking. Because if I had known that, if I had seen this first and then watched Two Days in the Valley knowing it was the same person, I would have been like, this movie! <laughs> but I went in it innocent as a babe and was able to enjoy it way much more. So that's good, I guess. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that works out for the best. Yeah. I've been tasked with attempting to summarize the plot, and I'm going to do my best to keep my venom and vitriol out of my plot summary, but I make no promises. Let me just clarify that partially because I watched this a week ago because we weren't sure we were going to take the holiday break, Mm -hmm. and I watched this a week ago, and in that time, my brain has decided to erase most of it. Because (laughs) often brains work in our best interest to protect us. (laughs) So expect me to go, oh yeah. (laughs) So this movie, uh, it opens with two Eastern European, as the movie will repeatedly refer to them, by which they mean a Russian and a Czech citizen, come to the United States. But it's all one place, right? Yeah, I mean, it's behind the Iron Curtain. All them people speak funny and have very blue eyes. Was Czechoslovakia even in the Soviet Union? Yes. Oh, okay. I believe so. I'm a bad historian. So they arrive in America, and we see them in customs, and we learn in this customs interview that one of them is like, I love movies. Frank Capra! And you're like, alright, well, this is weird. And then they go, because apparently they had done a bank robbery somewhere in, quote-unquote, Eastern Europe. Off-screen. <laughs> Off-screen, earlier. Probably a much more interesting movie. And their partner did not go to jail, but the Czech member of the duo did go to jail. So, obviously, missed opportunity for a prison riot. Obviously. Exactly, yep. So, they show up at this person's house, and he has a wife, and before they show up at the house, they're in Times Square, and they're like, America! And the guy steals a video camera, because that was a new thing that people who weren't filmmakers could have, and that is an important comment that they're going to make throughout the movie. Which is just so adorably dated. Oh my god, it's <laughs> just precious and like regina often will sort of be like what about how would this go with a cell phone and this is of all of the movies we've watched so far the one where that is most relevant and honestly it would have gone much better with iphones this would be a so much better movie if they had made it in like 2009 and made a whole host of other superior choices yeah (laughs) 
They had nowhere to go but up. Just feels so dated. When is it from? Two thousand two thousand and one. But it feels like it's twenty years older. It feels like hackers. Yes, (laughs) it feels worse. Yeah, so much worse. And I love hackers. So anyway, so they show up at this guy's house. In New York City, and uh, I don't remember their names because they're very forgettable, so I'm just going to refer to them as the Russian and the Czech. And the Russian is the one who has the camera, which he refuses to put down, and he loves to flip through the different filter effects, um, (laughs) which are also very dated. And the Czech is, like, yelling at his partner. He's like, where's my money? And the guy's like, dude, look at the apartment I live in in Manhattan. I don't have any of your money left. I have spent it all. Also, we have roommates here. Do you want a job as a plumber? And the Czech is like, shank, shank, shank. No, I I do not want to be a plumber and he stabs the hell out of him while the Russian is like I'm gonna film this creepily and the woman is screaming because that's what the women in this movie are there to do pretty much and then he decides to choke her to death which he does and all of this is being filmed and then he's like a solution let's burn the house down and then you see a very blue-eyed red-haired woman pop out of the bathroom and she witnesses all of this and then she escapes through the fire escape Vera Farmiga and they know that they that their crime has been witnessed. Also, they have a videotape of their crime, but they decide to put them in bed and burn the place down. And then we meet very forgettable fire marshal who was also in some early aughts romantic comedies. Is he? Ed, yeah, he's in a lot of things, but you will never remember him in anything. So I remember he was like kind of a big deal in the late nineties because yes. he made the brothers with Mullen. Yes, and yeah. that was sort of like a like an indie sensation because he like yeah. wrote it and directed it and starred in it. it was like, the new auteur. But I think of him as the poor man's dude in the TV show Felicity. No, seriously. like I can't even remember that guy's name. Do you know who I'm talking about? Scott Speedman, I want to say. But that might be the other one. (laughs) They were both named Scott. (laughs) The one that didn't go on to the Shonda Rhimes franchise. Uh, which one dated Jennifer Garner? Because it's the other one. I don't But know. it's the one who she followed to New York University in Felicity. Yeah. Uh, it's this, also the one that was in Scandal? This sounds like a very forgettable web. <laughs> so anyway, forgettable gent number one. But this, uh, honestly, I did find a, it a little bit interesting to watch Ed Burns in this movie because it was very much like his, like, bid to be a movie star. Yes. This was Ed Burns, being, is that the actor? Yeah. Okay. Yes. He was like, I'm not just going to be your indie auteur. I'm going to be a leading man in a movie yeah. that says something, although does it? So he came off of um, Saving Private Ryan. Right. So there was a whole crop of young actors in Saving Private Ryan who were all, in quotation marks, you know who else the next big Saving Private thing. Ryan? Matt Damon and Vin Diesel, who are also infinitely more charismatic right. and well, now infinitely more although famous. Although, have only one of them ever worked with Charlize, so I don't know if Matt's really made it yet. <laughs> Wait a second. Matt was in Legend of Bagger Pants. Oh, God. <laughs> he made out with her. I forgot that movie so quickly. I'm like, no, no, Vin Diesel got the credit for Fate of the Furious. <laughs> but, like, I remember people saying, like, Jeremy Davies is going to be a huge star. And who else? Barry Pepper before oh, yeah. he did Battlefield Earth. Like, it was just everyone in that movie. They were like, next big thing. Full disclosure. No. I have only ever seen the beginning battle of that movie. That's the best part of because it. Because my history teachers kept being like, get your parents assigned a permission slip and we're going to show you a war. We had that, too. Yep. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> roughly our age had that experience. But they were like 15 minutes. All right, stop. Go to study hall. And I was like, what? This guy picked up his arm. Ugh. War is terrible. Why did my parents have to sign a paper for that? <laughs> anyway, back to this flimsy plot line. So the two criminals uh, then hie off to a hotel room where they watch Roseanne Barr have a talk show. in Which, which I forgot existed. In which they decide that the American character is weak because men cry sometimes and are forced to apologize for acting like animals. So obviously America is crumbling. Um, The forgettable man, Ed Burns, is a fire marshal investigator and uh, Robert De Niro is a celebrity cop. And Kelsey Grammer, criminally miscast as an angry man who says fuck a lot, is a very like hard-hitting, if it bleeds, it leads, TV exploitation journalist. Who is he meant to imitate? I don't know. Also, Kim Cattrall is in it briefly as his boss being like, hey, stop with the blood. No, 
you're not gonna listen. And then she's out of the movie until the end, where she just shakes her head mournfully and is like... She literally watches the final thing through her finger. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and note that other people appear briefly and are never back. <laughs> we'll get to that. So anyway, uh, Fire Marshal goes through the woods, is accosted by a park man, handcuffs him to a tree and leaves him there, and then proceeds to the crime scene where the celebrity cop is like, I'm already investigating. And it's like a cop-off of, like, who's smarter about the crime scene, and they're testing each other. Can I just talk about how I, I'm a simple woman with simple needs, and normally the whole, this is my jurisdiction, not anymore, it's not cliche, gets me going. I love that, but it is poorly executed yes. here. Alright, so one of the my favorite parts of this atrocious movie, and this is saying something, is as they're going through the crime scene, it's full of water because there would have been. Talk about I don't know if you do, but there would have yeah. been like fire, you know, water systems because there was a fire. And sprinklers. at some point, sprinklers, that's the word. He's like, clear this out. And someone just punches a hole in the floor and <laughs> gravity works. So the water goes out. And I was like, huh. I've never seen that depicted in film. I bet that is what they do. Is it what they do? I don't know, but I assume that, like, uh, fire scenes would have a lot of, like, water everywhere. And Guys, I never... if we know any arson investigators, any <laughs> listeners of the podcast, please contact us. I, I thought what you were going to complain about was that exact thing, but that then... But the people in the apartment below are going to get all fucked up. No, they were already <laughs> probably on the street. Yeah. No, I thought that was actually interesting. I am 100% sincere that water going through a hole in the floor was my most interested moment in this entire movie. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so basically, I don't know, some people stick their fingers in the mouth of the dead people. They're like, oh, there's no soot. They must not have been breathing. So they figure out it's a murder. And then things go off the rails, where essentially the criminals have decided, because of watching Roseanne's talk show, that if they kill people in uh, dramatic ways while filming it, they can then plead the insanity plea, and because America is soft and weak and loves a crying man, that they then won't go to jail, and because of double jeopardy, even if they then later prove that they're sane. That's not how that works. Also, <laughs> that is not how the insanity plea works. None of this is how it works. Also, like, the me the criminals have zero motivation for doing this. I'm like, hi, you're from Russia and the Czech Republic, you killed some strangers in New York, you could just leave, they would never find you. True. But they want to live in America while hating it because they? they love Frank Capra so they, much. Yeah, they want to get rich and famous. Do they? Or did they just come? I think the one guy was like, I love movies. And the other guy was like, I want the dude I know to give me the money that he owes me. Both. I have zero interest in America. How did these people even become friends? <laughs> That's <laughs> I, So they fight constantly. And the Czech guy is like, um, I have the bigger penis. You will listen to what I do. And the other guy's like, I hold the camera closely to you. And I never listen to you. But obviously my muscles are bigger. And they have he also does a lot of selfies with the camera. Oh my god. I will say that of the two characters, like, I mean, they're ridiculous villains, but the one who has the camera is, like, oddly adorable in his naivety. I agree. What, like, whenever he talks about Frank Capra, part of me is like, you wee murdering babe. <laughs> oh my god. So they go on a murder spree because they want to find the woman who saw them rather than just, I don't know, leaving New York. So they call the <laughs> prostitution agency that she had a card in her wallet for. Oh boy! And uh, a prostitute is sent and she is not a Czech girl, which is what they were looking for. So uh, murder, right? They murder her because she won't give up the name and number of the agency. And the guy filming it films it again. So now there's another murder. And now there's like a testosterone off again between Robert De Niro and Ed Burns being like, well, whose scene is it? And Ed Burns is like, I'm going to follow you around, celebrity cop, but I don't really like how you use celebrity to get your job done. And Kelsey Grammer's like, I want to get a shot of this because I want people to watch my TV show. And then because the prostitute was murdered, those two cops go to the escort service. Guys, guess who runs the escort service? Who on earth? Oh my god. Could it be an incredibly lovely actress, but with terrible bangs? Just the worst bangs yes. ever. Uh, I'm even I, as a person who does not notice things like eyebrows and hair, was thinking that is the worst haircut I've ever seen. Guys, it's, it's a wig. It's, but it's the worst wig I've ever is seen. Is it? I think so. I don't know. Why? Okay, let's discuss her role and then we'll talk about it. Guys, it's Charlize. If, if it wasn't clear, it is Charlize. Why would she cut her hair, cut and dye her hair for 
45 seconds of screen time. Guys, she has like three lines. I wanted to rip my face off when she left the screen. <laughs> okay, so she, this is literally the role in an episode of Law and Order that a working actor in New York needs on their reel before they move to LA. This is that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So she basically shows up. The two cops are like, hey, your girl is dead. And she's like, what? I'm real sad. I'm going to order someone to get me a glass of water. Also, look at my terrible bangs. Also, here's where the girl you're actually looking for works. The end. Also, okay, so I'm a feminist and I am completely supportive of sex work and sex workers. And obviously the the ideal of sex workers working for a woman who supports them and, you know, is, is doesn't exploit them is, is what we all hope is the dream. But in things set 15 years ago, written by men, I'm kind of like, um, I think that you're sort of, not to use a sort of racial term, but whitewashing the situation. Mm-hmm. I think that you're like, see you guys? prostitutes love their work and everything's fine. <laughs> also, like, nominally, they're technically not prostitutes. It's an escort service. And I thought the only thing that wasn't kind of whitewashing is the person who went to get them their drink was a black woman. Okay, I was like, yeah, that's not great either. Yeah, guys. right, exactly. It's like, okay, so the white women, uh, we have all these Eastern European prostitutes. But they don't. Then- but they don't. She, no, because she technically didn't work for them. Charlize tried to oh, recruit her right. to the escort service, but she didn't work for them. She was all. like, you're on brand. She was like, you got pretty eyes, lady. <laughs> also, real quick about Vera Farmiga in this role. She looks like Pebbles Flintstone. Yes. They very clearly were trying to make her look like this young, naive girl. Mm. But she was 28 in this role. And looks 28. She looks like a grown woman who is made to be styled to be a child. Like, I think they really should have just hired a 19-year-old. Correct. I also, and I love Vera Farmiga. She's an amazing actress, but it's not a good role. No one has a good time in this movie. Right. (laughs) So they should have just hired a 19-year-old. It would have looked less cartoonish. Also, like, not to, like, harp on this point, but this, like, I mean, guys, I'm watching this movie for Charlize, and she's only in it for 30 seconds, so I spent a lot of time analyzing it, but it really bothered me that she gets upset that her girl has been murdered, and they're like, can we get you a glass of water? And she says yes, and then Robert De Niro waves at the woman who works for her, and is like, get some water. As though she works for him. And I found that very obnoxious. It's terrible. And also obnoxious. I was like, you know who probably worked with the girl who got murdered? The girl who works the phones. Like, not the woman who runs the business. Like, right. I don't know. There was class problems, there were racial problems, and I hate this movie. Anyway. It's so problematic. <laughs> and it's problematic that Charlize Theron is only in this movie for 45 seconds. Yeah, guys, she's done and there's a lot left to go. Can I ask, does anyone know how she was credited? Uh, she, well, how do you mean? Like, does she, she get an name? and Charlize Theron? I don't think she's in the opening titles. Okay, okay, so it's just like a straight up cameo. Yeah. She was famous enough at this point Absolutely, yeah. To to acknowledge some to acknowledge her participation as limited as it is. Right. I mean this is after Devil's Advocate and Cider House Rules and Bagger Vance right. and all that. But it's before Men of Honor? Uh, same I, year. Same okay. year. So she just had like a whole year of hanging out with Robert De Niro. She really did. Yeah. Which I bet was great. I I hope I hope that was fun. I hope someone got something out of this experience. I, I mean, <laughs> I've got a lot to say about Robert De Niro in this movie. We'll get to that. So okay. let's finish or something. I'm going to try to be quick. But essentially, we learn that Robert De Niro is in love and dating with a newswoman. Which uh, comes out of nowhere. Her name is Nicoletta. She is Greek. And we know that something bad is going to happen because he's about to propose to her. But fails to because she gets called away to anchor. And if someone fails to get their proposal in on time, someone's going to die. Yeah. Nope. And spoiler, the person who dies is Robert De Niro because the criminals have decided if they kill him and film it, then they'll better be able to argue their insanity plea. And the reason that they're able to do that is because of a failed gun chase where they shoot his partner but don't kill him but do steal his wallet and find a business card with Robert De Niro's name, but they also got a magazine from a newsstand and they put two and two together that it's the same cop. 
And then they come to his house and then tape him to a chair and try to kill him, but talk about their plan. But then Robert De Niro, being Robert De Niro, refuses to just get shot in this scene and so then decides to have a fight with him while he's taped to a chair, which includes him chair stomping a man, which doesn't make any sense, but he does it because he's Robert De Niro. But he does fail, and then he is shot and killed, and everyone's real sad about it, including the fire marshal who's like, I've bonded with this man. And then... The criminals sell their videotape of them murdering this cop to Kelsey Grammer, who's like, mm, ethics? Got no problem with that. Legal problems? I don't care. So then they show the footage of the cop being killed, and then we see lots of footage of people watching the cop being killed on screen, and we have to think about how we digest violence in media and what does that really mean except for in 2017 it's really weird to see a video of a cop being killed as a thing that everyone's upset about when what we actually watch all the time are videos of cops killing people in this year so that was a little bit weird anyway everyone's upset I just made the time out gesture because I'm like, Regina, I have so many things to say. I know. I'm just trying to get rid of the plot so that we can start angrily shredding this movie. But go ahead. Okay. So I have no memory of watching it a week ago. But weirdly, I do have memory of me watching it 15 years ago when this first came out on video. I watched it and and I remember being really interested in it. And I don't know why (laughs) but i was because you were 15 years younger yes and also this was the age where i really was obviously i'm still into film but i was like getting into it like i'm like i'm an adult now and i i think i was sort of learning to love robert de niro as an actor and so anything he did i was like i love it although i did not see men of honor but (laughs) i had a memory of this movie with robert de niro's character being like in Psycho, I thought he died early on. Mm. Oh, like yeah. I thought this was one of those situations where they marketed as a Robert De Niro movie, and then twenty minutes in, he's killed. Right. I also remembered, you know, they tie him to a chair. I remembered them just shooting him in the chair, and to me, I'm like, wait, why didn't you do that? <laughs> that would have been so much more interesting and powerful right it's fine to have him in more than 20 minutes of the movie i mean he's robert de niro Mm -hmm. but this whole thing where he like fights back even though he's tied to his chair and i think they actually stab him to death regardless so it's grisly whatever it is uh, right honestly like i found it very difficult to sit through this entire movie and kept like being like getting up and pacing so i may have missed the actual murder weapon because i knew he was gonna die and when it got to the point where he's taped to the chair but he's using the back leg of the chair to stomp on the right I was like, the whole, if you're going to make any commentary about this, isn't it about how, like, someone who is powerful... Power, power because of his celebrity. His celebrity and his right? status as is an officer of the law. Is not powerful in actual life and can still be killed. And, like, it just makes so much more sense for them <laughs> to just murder him. The only credit that I will give them is, so he is, like, he's got roses and he's going to propose to his girlfriend again because he failed to propose to her earlier. And I was like... If they kill her to motivate him, I'm going to be even madder than I already am. Right. And the only thing that I can say for the movie is that at no point is Nicoletta in physical peril. Like, she's That's never true. threatened by the cops. They ver- or Not yeah. the cops. They're, the villains, like, verbally are like, uh, who is this? But at no point is she, like, chained up naked and threatened with anything. No. Like, no. She's fine. Yeah. Going back to Robin's poor memory of this film... <laughs> In my memory from 15 years ago, she was Amy Brenneman from NYPD Blue, and I was conflating it with Heat. Uh, A much better movie. Yes. Yeah, this movie really wants to be like a conglomerate of like Heat and Seven and all those kind of things that are are genuinely good. Misses the mark. But I will say the, the, the death scene of Robert De Niro is the one part of the movie that subverted any of my expectations. Because I was like, I went into this movie being like, well, it's Robert De Niro. Obviously, he's going to survive. Like, it's the whole tangent thing where he's like looking out in the corridor and it's like, someone's probably going to be there, uh, but he's obviously going to best them in some way. Like, he's a. You know, he's not just a celebrity cop, he's also a veteran detective and blah blah blah. And then when he actually gets killed, I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. How I felt in 2001. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So that that was the only part of the movie I was like, oh, okay, you kind of got the better of me there. Yeah. 
and then everything else. Yeah, so but the, then the, the rest of the movie, which is already bad, has the problem of no longer having Robert De Niro in Right. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't die 20 minutes in, but he does die about halfway through. Right. We still have half of a movie to suffer through. And now it no longer has one of the greatest actors of a generation. Correct. <laughs> and it's, Charlize is long out of it yes. as well. So yeah. it doesn't have the greatest actors of two generations. <laughs> <laughs> So after he has died, Ed Burns is, like, real sad because they've become friends over a day. But did they? That's the thing. Well, they had, like, cops sniping with each other. So, Uh so, like, also, have you guys seen Backdraft? Yes. Yes. Okay, so, like, they very clearly are echoing some of Robert De Niro and Billy Baldwin's relationship in Backdraft. And... Wow is the meanest thing that I will ever say that Ed Burns is less interesting and charismatic than <laughs> Billy Baldwin, but it's a true. Yeah, I mean, that's you could compare Ed Burns to anyone and say he's less interesting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't think that's too bad. I mean, but Billy Baldwin? <laughs> yeah, but there's all, like, explosions and fire and everything. And, like, the one part of this movie that is definitely trying to emulate Backdraft is really falls flat for me. Okay, that's so, the only part I will defend, but let's wait till <laughs> I get to the Prometheus chair. So the next part of the movie is Ed Burns is taking their sole witness, the woman who saw everything and who knows who they are. Vera Farmiga. Vaguely Pebbles. defending them, but not really, because they find her and they could just kill her, but she's the one person they decide to leave alive so that Ed Burns can make, like, romantic lust eyes at her, which he does. Which uh, is gross, because... I think her character's supposed to be 19. And inappropriate. (laughs) He also, like, takes her to take a shower, and his boss is like, the fuck is wrong with you? You can't take a witness to shower? She's gonna say things, and what's wrong with you? You're a detective. And he's like, but but she looks like pebbles. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, everyone's behaving badly. But so he's, like, taking her to her apartment. She tries to neck with him. She's like, I have morals all of a sudden. And then the criminals who have failed to be good at anything mastermind a mousetrap-like situation where there are flowers in the apartment that she thinks are from her boss, but they're not. And then they explode. And then there's a fire. And they're forced into the bathroom. But the criminals knew they were going to end up in the bathroom. And there's a thing of gasoline. And they try to pour the gasoline down the tub, but they've blocked the tub and the sink. So they're just pouring gasoline everywhere. And however will they survive? And the windows have been nailed shut. And they they tauntingly put Robert De Niro's cop's badge on the windowsill. Yeah, because these guys who have been idiots from moment one are like, let's craft a masterful explosion for, again, no reason. They could just go back to Russia and the Czech Republic and nothing would happen to them. Or just straight up murder this woman. Right. <laughs> or they could have choked her in the first place. Right. Where they're like, N- let us put an elaborate Rube Goldberg fire in your home. Okay. Well, I completely agree <laughs> that the premise of that scene is flimsy. I did truly enjoy watching it. And there's a scene where they are injecting something flammable into a fire... What are those things called? Fire a fire extinguisher. extinguisher. Yeah. And I was like, what is happening here? And then when this scene happened, I was like, oh boy, we're going to find out. And it honestly reminded me of the Final Destination series. Also not very good. Okay, I really... <laughs> I genuinely like those kind of Rube Goldberg death trap things. Which I would have been fine with if they were psychopathic murderers who right. had an end goal. I know he's basically like, make sense. I just lose my mind and stab people. So it's like, like and that, except for this one time where I create this death trap. But, <laughs> so there's the final destination element of entertainment to me, and then secondly, the genuinely well shot fire death trap, hmm. which can become... I've seen a bunch of movies and TV shows where the fire death trap just looks like, yeah. uh, here's a line of fire. But right. this was genuinely terrifying. Right. And when she, like, breaks the window to try to get out and it causes a backdraft back situation. Yes. Yep. Sure, I'll, I'll give them credit for that. They survive. And just the whole thing where Ed Burns is like, I'm an arson investigator. I know what to do. And everything he does makes it worse. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and I would have been more excited by that if the villains weren't paper-thin, accented monsters. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so this scene has fundamental flaws, and I think it's the best thing in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Is it water going through a hole in the floor? (laughs) Does it compare with that? And it has, what, it's... 
two, three minutes long. <laughs> right, yeah. It, and also, like, the only reason it's actually in the movie is because they made Ed Burns an arson investigator for no reason. Other than to the success of Backdraft. Backdraft, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, oh, so he has something, he has to have something else that he can do. Because he's not actually a detective. Right. Well, they also, I think, wanted to play that not anymore, you're not angle. They just didn't. Right. I think they wanted to have, like, you know, cops and fire going against each other, fire department right. folks. He survives this fire. Correct. And she, so does Pebbles. She all Pebbles makes it out okay. He lives to put a bone in her hair another day. Um... <laughs> She, I think, disappears from the movie at this point. Uh, that is, I think, correct. Until, but again, I barely oh, remember it. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about her backstory. I don't even know. Who cares? Anyway. No one cares. So he's real mad that he's been taunted. It's after this. Did we talk about how they sold the tape? Well, they did. I think that the, did selling the tape happen after this. I, who knows? So at any Possibly. point. Why not start the movie there? They sell the yeah. tape of Robert De Niro's murder. And yeah, yeah. And it's or, shown. Or do it 20 minutes in. Have Robert De Niro killed when he is completely impotent. Set him up as this amazing hotshot cop. Have him killed. Start with the selling the tape. Because I think that that is the thing the movie really wanted to say. The movie really desperately wants to talk about... America's relationship with media and violence. Right. And a filmmaker talking about how film is maybe good right. or maybe bad is a subject I'm not very interested in. Um, and also like how Where a 16-year-old Robin or however old I was was very interested. Yeah, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I saw the first episode of Black Mirror and I was like, yeah, done better. And uh, didn't watch... But that came so much later. Yeah, but this is, this is still done poorly. Yeah. It's, because also like its indictment of American values is so baseless and non-specific. And I'm like, if you have a specific thing that you want to say about American values, there are things to be said. But this movie is literally like, uh, talk shows, a guy uh, slept with his daughter or his, his son's wife, and that's gross, but also he apologized. How dare he apologize? Also, <laughs> when men cry, gross. And I'm like, okay, but that's not really specific or a thing that can be, I don't know. Anyway. Meaningful so what anyway. Next? Yeah. <laughs> Guys. This is my Prometheus. <laughs> anyway, so what happens next is, I don't know, they, they show the, the footage, and the two criminals are in a restaurant, and surprisingly, people recognize them, because in a restaurant, they're showing news footage of a grisly murder. And what? then, right, turn the TVs off. Yeah, guys, <laughs> they paid a lot for their wine, they don't need to see that. <laughs> anyway, so then the Czech gets arrested, and he and the Russian have had a fight, because the Russian's like, I've directed everything, I'm the director. And the check is like, I've been bossing you around the whole time. This whole thing is my plan. So, you know, that's John Hurtsvel putting his issues with a producer who was bitchy with him <laughs> into a screenplay. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he gets arrested. He gets a douchey lawyer who's like, I will defend you via the insanity plea. Also, for some reason, Ed Burns, like, drives off with him into an abandoned warehouse and tries to beat him up. Completely and then forgot about that. Goes to kill him. And the check is like, you won't really kill me. Oh, Americans are weak. Is this the, if you're gonna shoot me, shoot me! Yes. Which, come on. That is said. (laughs) So anyway, he successfully is ruled unfit for trial. False. False! Via the film universe of insanity plea definition. So he's like, ha ha ha, I've killed a lot of people and now I'm gonna sell the movie and make a book deal and make a lot of money off my killing. You can't even, I think, I'm not 100% sure about this. There are definitely laws that prohibit you from profiting off of crime. Yes. And Which they talk about. I believe those apply even if you are not guilty for any kind of legal reason, right? I wouldn't know. I well, wouldn't believe that. <laughs> so they are just generally outside in the world, and he's like, I'm a free man with my lawyer. And the director, the Russian, is very angry uh, that he is being cast as a villain because he hasn't been arrested yet, and the other person is controlling the narrative. So he comes in, and he has a tape, which he offers to Kelsey Grammer, showing the check, explaining everything on film. And then uh, shooting ensues, and then Ed Burns decides, rather than letting the law take its course, that he will put many bullets into the Russian, or into the check person. Uh, the Russian person is also killed, but uh, not before he takes another selfie where he pretends to die, and he's like, this is my movie! And then he fake dies, and then he looks at Kelsey Grammer, and he's like, I did good, right? And then he dies for real. And then Kelsey Grammer gets punched in the face by Ed Burns, who strolls off into the distance, and Robert De Niro's would-be fiancé looks at him with sex eyes, and then credits roll, and in the credits we see Kelsey Grammer continuing to be Kelsey Grammer. 
in this movie. Which was completely unnecessary. Correct. Yep. Just so tacked on to sort of be like, guys, I made a point that they never successfully made. Correct. (laughs) So let's tackle what was good about this movie, if anything. Well, I like the one fire scene, even though I realize its premise is flawed. <laughs> and I actually like, talking about premises, I actually think the concept of this movie is relatively interesting. Again, if they made this movie Today, in response to cell phones or exactly. whatever. If you were to say, does this movie survive an iPhone? Conceptually, yeah. this movie survives an iPhone. This is one of the few movies that would be yes. improved by an iPhone. Exactly, yeah. That, that, this is a movie that is ripe for remaking. <laughs> Because it can't get any worse. I just remembered my second favorite part of the movie. Which is? Because you want me to talk about good things. So while Robert De Niro is taped to a chair, he and the Chuck villain have a spit in the face off with each other. Yes. Oh, that's right! So Robert De Niro is like, I don't like being tied up. I spit in your face. And the Chuck's like, I spit back in your face. I have the authority here. And you'd think that would be the end of it. No. But this continues until Robert De Niro is dying and the Chuck spits in him on his face with a lot of blood because he's been hit in the face a bunch. They spit on each other like ten times. And I'm like, this is almost as good as the hold your breath off. <laughs> it's never going to be Still as good as that. Still results in Robert De Niro having blood on his face. Yeah. I will say one of the good things about this movie is Robert De Niro. This is an example. There, There's a period of time in the early to mid-aughts where Robert De Niro was phoning it the fuck in. Yep. And this is not one of those movies. He actually, I really genuinely think that he gave his best. Not, ugh, not his best. <laughs> sorry. I, I am so sorry that I just said that. He gives a good B-plus effort here, and he really does, like he usually does, elevate all of the scenes he's in. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I agree about that with his performance, but the character that he's written into is just... He's kind of miscast. He's very miscast. I wish they had picked somebody who would be more like, wink, wink, I love the camera, because that's kind of like the opposite right, of yes. Robert De Niro's jam. Exactly. Usually when he plays a cop, he is like, no nonsense, get right. the business done kind of thing. Like his backdraft character, exactly. who's an arson investigator, not a cop. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I think, if I have that right, I think it's the reverse. I think Billy Baldwin? Whatever. Well, they're both firemen. But yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, yes, I, I do think he is very miscast, but he makes the best out of what he's got. The other thing, actually, the rest of the cast in this movie is really good. I really enjoy seeing Avery Brooks. I was just going to say. Benjamin Sisko. Yes! Fr- from Deep Space Nine in it. Being, he's the partner. Yes, being uh, as, as black as he was not allowed to be in Deep Space Nine. That is the best way to describe <laughs> him in this role. Oh, it's so true. And what a, like... Avery Brooks, what a great actor. Who, oh, he's amazing. Like, yeah. I just, I wish he is in more things. Like, yeah. he's just fantastic. And he really is great in this role. Like, yeah. he really... Is he the one who's like, I will not be stopped. I will not let my partner's death be filmed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was one of the high points of the movie for me. So he reacts the way that I wish that Melina, whatever her face, the Greek woman, had reacted. Yes. Because she's just kind of like... This is horrible. I don't like it. Yeah. But also, um, will you murder him for me? And then right. I'll look at you longingly. <laughs> also, Avery Brooks gets to drop the title line. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's right. Because yeah, guys, are fifteen minutes. <laughs> also, <laughs> get David Bowie out of their soundtrack. I was morally and deeply offended when Fame came on. Regina, and I believe- wait, wait, which song is it? Would you sing it for us? Fame! <laughs> I am a great singer. That came on and I stomped out of the room and I was like, I need another glass of water! Because I was, I was like, guys, I get it! And I think it was like two seconds after the titular line, they're like, if you've forgotten that we're talking about how celebrity and fame influence us as character people. I was like, I can't take it. <laughs> yeah. So who do we think... Uh, oh, sorry. If you want to do more good things, are there any more good no. things? No. <laughs> who do we think Keanu would play? Edward Burns' character. So I... That was my initial thing as well. I was like, he would replace Ed Burns, but I'm like... But a traffic cone could replace Ed Burns. True. No. Oh, also Ed Burns' character's name. Jordy Warsaw. Yeah. <laughs> which, what a terrible character name, which I remember being a feature in Two Days in the Valley, too. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Where Where do you think Keanu should be, other than this uh, like lead role that I think he'd be perfect in? He could play it Point Break style. This is true. I, th- I think he would make it more interesting, but the person I wanted him to replace was the... Uh, 
news agent in the street who says, it pays to be a killer in this country. (laughs) (laughs) If only to hear Keanu's British accent one more time. (laughs) Regems? Guys, it's hard. It's very hard to put beloved Keanu Reeves into a movie. That shakes me up with anger. This is you wanting to protect him. From I a do. Bad movie. I just don't. I just don't want him to have to live through this. I don't want to have to watch him. If I'm being charitable to the movie, I would cast him as either of the villains because he'll be a million times more interesting. Sure. So I guess I would replace the the Czech villain and have him be like the lead murdering villain because if he could bring some of the like. I don't know, intensity to that role that yeah. might be more interesting. I mean, it would still have zero motivation for him to make any of the choices that that character makes. Yeah. If I'm being kind to me and I don't want to see him in this very much, I would put him in Kim Cattrall's role, being like, Kelsey Kramer, bring it in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just would love for him to be show. like, smoke a doobie, chill out, man. We can do other news stories. As much as I love, as and I have often put Keanu in this cameos in every film Samuel L. Jackson situation, <laughs> I really do think this is an example of a movie where if he were in the lead role, yeah. it would have just been a whole degree better. Which, let's be real, would still be a bad movie. Oh yeah, but you know what would be even better? If you switch the roles of Ed Burns and Charlize. Yes! <laughs> Yes, let's have Charlize play Ed Burns. Love it. I want Charlize to play Robert De Niro and have Robert De Niro play Ed Burns. I'm not 100% comfortable with Charlize being the celebrity cop. Like that's this true. idea of like young, yeah. beautiful woman as the celebrity cop. I also don't want to see them kill her. And yeah, you're right. You're right. Good idea, but terrible. I'm glad, I'm glad that Charlize was not Nicoletta. Oh, God. Yeah, agreed. Especially because poor Charlize playing the love interest of Robert De Niro, who yeah. is 30 years or senior, twice Again. in one year. Yeah. I did also want to say that a very thin plot point that I missed is, so remember when Ed Burns handcuffed a man to a tree and left him there? Well, later that man gives an interview on the news and is like, that happened to me. That was fucked up. And then Ed Burns is like, well, your career is probably over because you did something super illegal. Wait, and I think he handcuffed to a tree. A so, bank, like a so a guy in pocket. Central Park was going to try to shank him. I was like, I'm going to rob you for your wallet. He's like, I'm not the right oh, guy to mess with. Right. And then he oh, handcuffs so him dumb. to a tree and leaves him. And I think we're supposed to then feel bad for Ed Burns that this guy is doing it to him. But I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't want people to take citizens and handcuff them to trees and leave them for hours at a right. time. That seems like an abuse of power. And then they're like, oh, you gotta feel bad for Ed Burns. His career's probably over. And then he shoots a man on the street many times. Oh, yeah. And just walks off into the distance. And that's the end. Sorry, I wanted to wrap that back into this sandwich in case we forgot about it. This movie's really bad. There's so many details. Remember at the end of Seven when Brad Pitt mercilessly shot a handcuffed prisoner? Yeah. And he got put in the back of a cop car immediately afterwards? The exact opposite thing happens in this movie. Right. Everybody gives them a pat on the back. Everyone's like, eh, yeah, just leave him. He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, let's get straight to the Ebert or Mebert, which is <clears throat> John Hersfeld has not made a great movie yet, but he might. He cares. He strives. He's not content. Uh, I think that's an Ebert. Ebert. It is an Ebert. Yeah, It's been too long since I've quoted the actual master. <laughs> and it made me kind of sad because John Hertzfeld has still not made a great right, movie. Yeah. And probably will never. But I understand why Roger Ebert thought he might. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I mean, I will give John Hertzfeld props for attempting something original. Like, this is an original story that he has unsuccessfully made up. Correct. But, you know, it is, you know, it's something, and it's an interesting concept. I can't really fault him for his ambition. Right. The other thing from Ebert's review, the first sentence is, I want to know if you think this is possible. (laughs) (laughs) Because that is one thing that's kind of interesting, is that I guess when this movie came out, people maybe thought it was preposterous. Yeah. And, 
like we said, now in the age of cell phones and everything, we're like, oh yeah, this could totally happen. Yeah, we see videos yeah. of people being killed all the time. All the time. That's also- a regular feature of our life. And like Regina said, it's usually in reverse, cops killing people. But it's, it is a different world where this feels much more plausible, which honestly makes this movie less interesting. Right. I also think that in that time that movies and television were obsessed with thinking about the insanity plea. We're like obsessed with it. I feel like a whole movie about it. It was just and double jeopardy. I feel like it was constantly in films and being like, "But what if they lied about being a crazy?" Yeah, without ever taking into account how incredibly difficult that actual plea is and the realities of like the mental health. Uh, and criminality is like uh, very different from that. And yeah. uh, my mother was a psychologist who was deeply upset by the film "What About Bob," let alone movies <laughs> that argued about the insanity plea. There's so a lot of unethical behavior in "What About Bob." She, as she would have said, <laughs> that's not what they do. But so, yeah, I just you know, I think that I think that this movie is trying to speak to something interesting, but does so in a careless fashion. Is as I said before, non-specific, and I think has John Hartswell has like a weird relationship to American masculinity where he both demonizes it and valorizes it where he's like violence is bad but also the thing that makes Ed Burns good at the end is that he doesn't want to be famous and is willing to shoot people. And that Robert De Niro fights back while he's tied to a chair. Yeah, yeah. so it's make up your mind. It's a very white man thing to do. Yeah. yeah. And it has a frustrating element of like well this plan that the villains have is clearly preposterous and they are clearly stupid but it is written as being successful anyway. Right. Which I'm just like, oh, this is just aggravating right. after a while. And there is zero motivation for any of it. Like, right. it's like, you took my money, and then in a fit of rage, I killed you, but then went on an elaborate killing and fire setting spree. That All just because is... of Frank Capra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. It is a wonderful life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's rank this piece of shit. <laughs> Guys, it's my new number one. I love it so much. I fooled you all along. I'm kidding. It's my number one bottom. Really? I never thought this would happen, but this has upset Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. This and I, is your Prometheus. It is a bottom of the barrel. Because... You know what? I think with enough beers, Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest would be a hilarious evening to spend with friends. We actually literally lived that experience. Correct. (laughs) Whereas this, and maybe it's because I watched it alone, but I'm not kidding. I had to keep pausing it, and at some point Bob Shields came home and I was like, do I have to finish it? Like, Charlize is out. You've already seen it. Can I just read the summary? I'm so aggravated. So anyway, this is my ranking. All right. I am going to be slightly more charitable. It is third to last for me, just above The Legend of Bad Girl. And I did wrestle with this. I can't believe you're choosing this over Will Smith. Did wrestle with it. That is hard to believe. But I really did enjoy the Final Destination scene. That is one scene? I know. Okay, I literally weighed the the one scene of the fire death trap versus a gentleman's tie. (laughs) But also, that movie has Charlize, like, knee slapping. I know. In the movie. I am ranking these (laughs) as films, not as Charlize vehicles. So this is the only time I feel compelled to argue with your ranking. <laughs> I, I understand it's controversial. I would like everyone to know that there is still a huge gulf between it and the above uh, entry of Huntsman Winter's War, which I did not like. <laughs> but it's not awful. So this is the new threshold of where awful begins. Oh. I can't believe this is even touching the sheets that have touched. You will do this for me, Huntsman. So uh, I'm. You're gonna really hate this. Oh Jesus! I, I'm ranking this. It's one below Eon Flux for me, which makes it my number fourth from the bottom. Okay. Uh, which means it is also one above Huntsman Winter's War. Get out <laughs> of my house! And it's re- the reason the is- marriage is threatened. <laughs> the reason is for pure like. Original ambition. Yeah! I'm like, I don't think it was successful, but at least it had something, some weight behind it. Uh, And it gets below Eon Flux because I think it's like quality wise on par, but there is far much more Charlize in Eon Flux. 
I don't know how you can think this is original. I think I've seen a thousand filmmakers be like, but guys, what if what I did wasn't a good thing? I don't know, but I'm going to keep doing it to tell you whether or not what I do is good or bad. I've seen it so many times. <laughs> filmmakers are always like, I don't know. Can I make my art? Yeah, just do it. Shut up. <laughs> So I now feel kind of left out. I'm hoping that, I mean, I'm not hoping, I don't want to spend time in my life that is worse than Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest, but I'm going to feel kind of mean if at the end of this podcast something hasn't been worse, because at least with Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest, they were trying to entertain us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if you were ranking them as films... Versus as a Charlie's vehicle, yeah. or as things you would want to do again ever in your life, I might understand if that comes in last because it's they were trying to entertain us, but it's not a great movie. No, it's a very, very, very bad movie. I mean, <laughs> I will never understand why the both of you don't immediately agree with me about this. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is so bad. <laughs> well, I do truly love that the Connolly Shieldses have officially decided that Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest is not the worst Charlize Theron movie. That is exciting. I what a much, time to be alive. I look forward to whether or not that will happen again. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. What's going to go below our current bottom ones? Oh, God. Is it even possible? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, is that as much as I kind of want Children of the Corn 3 to be better than another movie, I also don't want to watch another really terrible movie. <laughs> I also, this is the first time I've been angry with myself for this premise of a podcast. I was like, I would not be watching this movie if I weren't <laughs> making myself watch this movie. And she's in it for so little. We can't even talk about her acting in it, because she says three lines, and all we can talk about are her bangs. Why was she in this? I guess it's like some kind of blood know. oath to John Hersfeld because he gave her her first speaking role. I always thought it might be more uh, Robert De Niro on the on the set of Men of Honor was like, hey, you want to come to this You're other fun. one for a minute? Well, oh yeah, and she's like, oh, John, I love him. Alright, well, listeners, if you have an idea, please let us know. No, don't watch this movie to answer this question. Only answer it if you've already seen it. Don't do this to yourself. But no one except for John Paul Feitner has seen this. <laughs> Alright, you innocent babes. How I envy you. Thanks, guys, for listening and just going through this slog of a terrible movie with us, at least in theory. <laughs> Thank you to Alex Reed for the best theme song that makes doing this worthwhile. Yep. Thank you to Bob Shields and Robin Elaine Hitchcock for creating the greatest Keanu Photoshop we may have ever had yet, <laughs> which is our July 4th Keanu Jefferson. Yes. And you can see that at Charlize Theronathan on Instagram. Yep. You can also follow us on Twitter at Theronathan, on Facebook at Theronathan. And if you like the podcast, tell one person. And then we'll have four listeners. Yay! <laughs> Alright, thank you to my co-hosts. Thank you to everyone for listening. And most of all, thank, thank you, Charlies! Ha <laughs> ha!